but I really like it when Cameron's out of town. <laughs> gives me gives me an opportunity to, to talk, and uh, it's one of my, my favorite things to do. And what we're going to be talking about today is what do we do when it seems like God has abandoned us? This seems really loud. Does this seem really loud? So, no, I'm, I'm very powerful, but... Um, so what do we do when it seems like God has abandoned us? When our current circumstances make it look like God has forgotten us, that make it look like God has kind of turned a deaf ear to us. You know, we, we've all probably been through situations and had things in our lives where we have spent, you know, time in prayer and just seeking God just... Like, you know, God, I just need you to, to move in this situation. God, I just need breakthrough in this situation. And it feels like our prayers are just kind of flying off into space. And they're just falling, you know, you know, just out there somewhere. And God doesn't seem to be paying attention. And he doesn't seem to be doing anything in our lives. And we begin to question, you know, God, why won't you answer me? What is going on is I look around the church, you know, I see these other people who it seems like you answer every little prayer they must utter. You know, they, they get a great parking spot at Myers every time. Or, you know, you know, they find, you know, how did that guy get married? And here I am still single. This doesn't make any sense, God. And so we begin to question, you know, why is it that God doesn't care about me? You know, maybe I'm not praying hard enough or maybe that I've got some sin in my life. Maybe there's something going on and it's my fault and God doesn't care about me. You know, I went through a situation, my whole family went through a situation uh, a number of years ago. My father-in-law, Dale, was diagnosed with cancer and we were praying and we were hoping and seeking God that he would be healed, that he would be miraculously touched by God and that the cancer would be gone and he would be one of these amazing testimonies that we hear about. And so we're seeking God and we hear these testimonies from especially like Bethel in in Redding, California, that they have this cancer-free zone and God is just doing this miraculous stuff over there and people are getting set free from cancer and just these amazing miracles happening. And yet, Dale, you know, he, he dies and it just doesn't make any sense. And it makes you go, God, what is going on? Why don't you answer this prayer? Why don't you care about me? You know, so in... The question that we want to delve into this morning is what do we do when our circumstances seem to be shouting that God doesn't care? You know, we want to hold on to faith. We want to trust God, but it feels difficult because it feels like we're not getting anything. We're feeling kind of alone. We're feeling abandoned. We feel hopeless and we feel helpless. Well, this morning we're going to look at a story out of scripture about a guy who is in a very similar situation, who has lived for God his whole life, and he finds himself in a situation where he's beginning to doubt. He's beginning to struggle. He's beginning to kind of wonder what exactly is going on. And our story starts with this guy named King Herod, and he is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Judea who the, the Roman Empire has put in charge of all of Rome. And 
this guy is not very nice. You know, he, um, he's the guy that when Jesus was born and the Magi go to him, he is the one that said, oh, there's a king of the Jews being born in Bethlehem. Let's just kill all those kids because I don't, I don't need anybody uh, threatening my, my position here. And so this guy, King Herod's not a very good guy. Right? And he has a couple of sons. And when King Herod passes on uh, his, his kingdom to, to the next generation, the Roman Empire decides that this kingdom is too much for one guy to rule. So they break it up into parts. And King Herod's son, King, uh, Herod Archelaus, he gets Samaria and Judea in the south. And one of his other sons, Herod Antipas, gets Galilee in the north. And there's one other son, he actually had a number of sons, but there's one other son that's important in our story, and his name is Herod Philip. And Herod Philip did not get anything to rule. He did not get anything to reign. So he is still the son of a king, um, and so he's just kind of hanging out in Judea and Samaria, down in the, the place where Herod Archelaus is, is reigning. And Philip doesn't have anything to rule, but he marries his niece Herodias. And they fall in love, and they have a daughter who is named Salome. And Salome uh, is going to come into the story in a little while as well. And so Herod, Philip, and Herodias are married. They're living in uh, Judea and Samaria here. And one day, Herod, Philip's brother, Herod Antipas, trying to get all these Herods straight. Okay, so Herod Antipas decides, I'm going to come down, I'm going to visit my brother Philip and see how things are going. So he comes down um, and he meets with, with Herod Philip. And what we find out was we read the histories of Josephus during this time, who was a, a Jewish uh, historian during the first century, is that Herod Antipas and Herodias, they seem to fall in love and they elope back to Galilee together. And so Herodias leaves her husband and marries her husband's brother and goes back to live with him up in Galilee. Does that make sense? We all, we're all together? The, it's an incredible story. You should read your Bible. It's really crazy. And so life is good for Herodias and Antipas. They're living up there. She, now she's not just, you know, married to the brother of a guy who used to be king. She is married to the king of Galilee. So she's, so things are working out pretty well for Herodias. And things are going good until this guy named John the Baptist comes onto the scene. All right? And John, as we may uh, remember, is the cousin of Jesus. And Jesus is kind of a big deal in the New Testament, right? So Jesus is the Messiah. And John... Uh, in 25 AD, begins preaching and starts attracting a big crowd. And he's calling people to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he is this one, he is this prophet, the last of the Old Testament prophets, who is sent to prepare the way for Jesus. But John, he is hanging out up in Galilee, and he begins to preach, and he begins to speak out against the sin of Herodias and Antipas, because they are breaking Jewish law. You know, Herodias is breaking Jewish law by leaving her brother, her husband, to marry her husband's brother. All right? And, and so Herodias hates John. She is really angry, and she wants her husband to put John to death. But her husband is scared of what might happen if he does that. Um, because the people really like John, and Herod is, you know, concerned that, you know, what, what's going to happen if I kill him? You know, there could be an uprising. But to appease his wife, he decides to 
uh, he just has John arrested and imprisoned. And so we're going to pick up this story here in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 17. And the story, there's, it's kind of broken up in the Gospels. We're going to read some from Mark, and in a little bit we're going to read some from the Gospel of Matthew. And so Mark 6, 17 says, For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So here we have John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the man who has been sent to prepare the way for the Messiah is sitting in prison. And a few chapters earlier in the story, when John was out at the Jordan River baptizing disciples, saying, you know, baptizing them into a baptism of repentance uh, to prepare for Jesus, Jesus comes to him to be baptized. And John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John tells his disciples that this is Jesus. This is the one who I have come to prepare a way for. And some of John's disciples go to begin following Jesus. And so John had done everything that he was told to do. He was he's prophesying that Jesus is the Messiah. He is, you know, he's calling out um, Herodias and Herod in their sin. You know, he is standing up for what is right. And even though he does everything as perfectly as, as he knows how to do, he ends up in prison for doing the right thing. And so in our story, we find that John appears to be having some doubts. He appears to be starting to kind of question, you know, who Jesus is and is Jesus really the one that we were expecting? You know, he's looking for him, some assurance because as far as John can tell, it seems that he has been forgotten. And so, you know, and so I read, you read that scripture and you kind of have to ask the question, you know, what would I feel like? What have I felt like when I feel like I'm doing everything right, when I'm doing what God has called me to do, and yet my situation or my circumstances make it look like I've been forgotten or that I've been abandoned? You know, we would feel... You know, I feel alone. You feel depressed. You feel like you're just kind of struggling and trying to figure out what is going on. Why am I in this prison? What is going on, God? And so John, some of his disciples, some of his friends come to minister to him in prison. And John says, hey, guys, can you do me a favor? I need you to go and ask Jesus a question. And they're like, okay, John, we can do that. What is the question? And he says, all right, will you ask him, Jesus, are you the one? Are we looking for somebody else? And I believe that this would have been kind of a shock to the disciples because they're like, John, you're the one who told us. You remember at the Jordan River, you're the one who told us that he's the one. You're the, remember, you came to prepare a way for him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You remember that. And John's like, yeah, I do. But I'm just starting to have some doubts. I'm starting to kind of, I don't really understand this situation. I just, 
You know, he just needs some reassurance. And so his disciples go to Jesus and and ask him that question. And I think that in all of our lives, you know, we can we can begin to ask that question, too. You know, we can go, you know, we have maybe a radical encounter with God and and things are really good. But then a situation arises that just makes us go, man, is this is this God thing really working out? Is this Jesus? Is this relationship really what I expected it to be? You know, how quickly can we go from, you know, behold the Lamb of God to Jesus, are you the one or am I looking for somebody else? And so John's disciples go to Jesus and they ask him the question. They say, John wants to know, are you the one? Are you really the one or should we be looking for somebody else? And Jesus' response is, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And so Jesus sends back to John, he says, tell John what you see and what you hear. Look at all this amazing stuff that's happening. And so the first thing we do when we are in a a prison of some sort, when we are in a dark season, when we are in a circumstance that seems like this, you know, God has just abandoned me in this. The first thing that Jesus says for John to do is to look and see what God is doing. Look to see what God has done. You know, in, in all our lives, you know, we have seen God move mightily. You know, I was, you know, I grew up in the church, but I had, I had fallen away. I was living a rebellious and sinful life. And yet Jesus came to me and said, Mark, you know, I want to have you back. I'm inviting you back into relationship with me. I forgive you for all that garbage that's going on in your life. I forgive you for all that. I just want you. I want to love you. I want to know you. I want a relationship with you. And so I know that God has moved in my life. And I know that God is still doing stuff in my life. You know, I've gone through seasons in my marriage that were incredibly difficult. That I didn't know how we were going to make it through the next day. You know, I didn't know how we were going to get through the season. And I was just crying out, God, I need you to break through this. I need you to come. And God has done that. He has, you know, he comes in and he brings restoration and he brings, he restores relationship. And so I've seen God work in my life numerous, numerous times. And yet when we find ourselves in a new difficult situation, we have a tendency to forget. All we can see around us is our prison walls. All we can see around us is our depression. But Jesus says, stand up and look outside the prison. Stand up and look at what I'm doing. Look at what I have done. And it's such an important reminder for John, and it's such an important reminder for us that God has done things and is doing things in our lives. And we can even see God moving across the world today. You know, we see him, you know, doing amazing things in the church in Africa and the church in China, even down in Van, even in Vandalia. You know, God is doing amazing things. A couple weeks ago, we were down at the Dig the Well event and it was 
incredibly impacting just to see this building that God has provided down there. And there's renovations happening, and there's people from the community gathering together, you know, excited about building this church. And so regardless of what my situation looks like, regardless of what my circumstance is, I can open my eyes and I can see that God is moving. And so that's pretty good. That's a pretty good word. And so, but then as the disciples of John are like, okay, we're going to take that back to John. Jesus says one more thing. And he says, tell John, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. That's from Matthew eleven six. You might want to highlight that. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I feel like Jesus is saying, tell John that not, to, not to fall away. Tell John not to take offense at what I, Jesus, am doing or what I'm not doing. Tell him just to hold on. And, and this is, inc- is incredible because Jesus it seems to be acknowledging that, yeah, John is in a tough place. Yeah, he's locked in a prison. And, you know, he's probably struggling because, you know, I'm out here. I'm setting captives free. I am healing the blind. I am healing, you know, lame people that I've never met before. And yet my cousin is rotting in jail. And just tell him, I understand that that's happening. And I understand that it's difficult. But just hold on. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And sometimes we don't understand why God allows some of the stuff in our lives to happen. We don't understand why our loved one is sick. Or we don't understand why our son or our daughter has fallen away from the faith. You know, we don't understand why our marriage is in such dire straits. But God is saying, just hold on. Just hold on. Just trust me. And throughout the story of the Bible, I think that one of the the themes that runs throughout this and this was something that one of our professors, Dana Arledge, thank you, Anthony. Dana Arledge, he was a pastor at a church downtown Kalamazoo. He said that um, the, the theme running through the story of the Bible is God asking, will you trust me? Will you take me at my word? You know, and we see it over and over and over again. We see Abraham being called to, to rise up and go to a land that I'm going to show you. You know, so he has to rise up and he starts walking with his family and his stuff. And he doesn't even know where he's going. He has to trust that God is going to show him when he gets there. And then God says, I'm going to make you the father of a mighty nation. And so he has to hold on to this belief and this promise that God is going to do something miraculous with him. And yet he doesn't even have a single son. For years and years and years he has this promise, but he doesn't see how it's going to happen. He doesn't see how God's going to do it. And so he tries to take it into his own hands. He tries to to make the promise happen on his own. And he causes a lot of trouble. right? But in God's perfect timing, God does come in and does... Uh, invade that place and does bring fruition to the promise. But for a long time, Abraham had to hold on to that promise with nothing, with no you know, tangible proof that this was actually going to happen. 
And we see it in the life of Moses. We see it in the life of Joshua, who is asked to go take the promised land. And the way you're going to do it is just march around this city with some horns and some trumpets for seven days, and then I'm going to knock it down. And that there's a lot of trust that has to go into that attack plan, right? We, he, like, everything is, is riding on God coming through. And so over and over and over again through Scripture, we see God asking, will you trust me? Will you take me at my word? And sometimes in our lives, it may feel like our circumstances um, make it, they just don't make sense. You know, we're praying and we're asking God for help, but nothing seems to be changing. You know, we still need a job, you know, we still need this stuff and we have to make a choice. Are we willing to trust God, to trust that he hasn't abandoned us and to not allow whatever this circumstance is to become a stumbling block in our life? And we can feel, we can feel that our circumstances reveal how God feels about us. But I think the scripture that we're studying here proves that this isn't the truth. You know, earlier in the intro, I talked about, you know, maybe I didn't pray enough. Maybe I've got some sin. Maybe there's something in my life that is keeping God from answering my prayer. But that is not necessarily the case. Sometimes difficult things just happen. And because we remember that John did everything right. And then Jesus says, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And so John, you know, Jesus isn't angry with John. Jesus isn't waiting for John to pray a little harder, maybe work a little more. John, do a couple more things. And then if you're good enough, then I'm going to get you out of that prison. You know, John has done everything right. There is nobody greater than John. And so John had to just learn to trust and to you know, kind of sit in his situation and not allow it to become a stumbling block, not allow his situation to become an offense that would get in the way of his relationship with the Father. You know, we might feel that our circumstances reveal how God feels about us, but proof of how God feels about us is what happened on the cross, not what is happening in your life right now. You know, when we are tempted to doubt God's love for us, when we are tempted to, you know, question his concern, we need to stand up and we look outside of our prison and we remember that Jesus proved his love by dying on a cross, by shedding his blood so that we could spend eternity with our Heavenly Father. You know, he died, he shed his blood, he was put up on a Roman cross so that he could set us free from the law of sin and death. And we can trust in that and we can believe that that actually happened. You know, when, you know, our first thing to remember is that we stand up in our prison and we look out and we remember what God is doing and what God has done. And we need to, I think part of this is remember that these stories that we read in the Bible are not these just children's stories or just this, this kind of, nice ideas, but this Jesus actually lived. He actually existed. And we just did a study with the youth group about the life of Jesus, looking at some of the the historical and archaeological proof that Jesus existed, and it radically impacted me. You know, it kind of moved Jesus from this kind of almost, you know, fictional storybook character 
all right, to this guy who actually lived, who actually breathed, who actually did all the stuff that the Bible says he did. You know, there are these external sources, you know, like Josephus, the first century historian, and this guy named Tacitus, and there's these extra-biblical sources that say there is a guy named Jesus who did crazy stuff, and we can't really put our finger on what it was or what, it, what he did. But there is proof that Jesus did miraculous things. And that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate, that he was killed by the Romans, and that he was buried. And we know that three days later, his body disappeared. And we can trust, and we can trust in the evidence that we have that this stuff really happened. And when we are struggling, when we are you know, in doubt and we are in fear, we can look back to go, man, this guy really lived and he really died for me. He really chose to drink the cup that the Father gave him so that I could spend eternity with God. And so we need to remember that his love for you and his love for me is revealed on the cross and not in our current circumstances. Now, unfortunately, things don't end super well for John. And we're going to pick up that story here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. And on his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried in to the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And so this is difficult for us to get our brain around. Man, John did everything right. John did everything he was supposed to do. Jesus is out there setting captives free, and yet he just he doesn't do anything for his cousin John. That doesn't make any sense. But we need to remember that blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, on account of what I am doing, or on account of what I'm not doing. And in the Amplified Bible, you know, their definition for blessed is happy, fortunate, to be envied. And so John, in his prison cell, rotting away, is supposed to be happy. He's supposed to be, consider himself fortunate. He's supposed to consider himself to be envied. That doesn't make any sense. You're in a prison, John. And yet, the amazing goodness of the gospel is that Jesus is with us. Jesus is for us, and Jesus is blessing us regardless of our circumstances. So when you or I are in one of these seasons where we just don't understand what's going on, we need to hold on to this verse, and we need to remember that blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. 
And in James 1.12, it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And John received the crown of life because he persevered through this season. And I believe that my father-in-law, Dale, has received the crown of life because he persevered through his situation. He persevered and he was blessed through that, even through the cancer. I remember him saying that he wouldn't change having cancer for the revelation that it gave him. And that's amazing. I, are you kidding me? You would, you would keep the cancer because of this revelation? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But we saw the, the blessing of God in that situation. And as he walked it out, it radically impacted my life and his family's life. And it was so amazing. And we, too, can hold on to the truth of God during these dark seasons. We can hold on that God is going to see us through. And I believe that God wants to give us blessing. He wants to pour out and bring freedom from captivity in this life. You know, that I believe and I trust when I'm going through something, I am going to hold on to hope that God is going to see me through it and I'm going to get victory in this life, in this world. You know, and sometimes, most of the time, it seems like that that happens. You know, a lot, I've seen God do amazing things in my life. But remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were, uh, they stood up against the, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, we're not going to bow down to your statue. We're not going to bow down to you. And he, he says, you know, if you don't bow down to me, I'm going to throw you into this fiery furnace and you're going to die. And they said, you can throw us in the furnace. We believe that God is going to see us through. We believe that God is going to protect us and we're not going to die in that furnace. Then they say, even if we don't, we're not bowing down. We're not going to allow this situation to become an offense. We're not going to allow this situation to become a stumbling block in our lives. We are going to put our trust in God the Father who has seen us this far and we believe is going to see us through this as well. And so let's just, let's just take a moment just to, to uh, we're just going to pray into this for a second. And, you know, if you are in a season that just feels difficult, that you have maybe questioned, you know, is God, does God care about me? Is God going to see me through this circumstance? You know, and it, maybe it's hard to reconcile the promises of God and your current situation. But Jesus is saying to you, just like he said to John the Baptist, he's saying, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And so if that's you this morning um, and you feel comfortable, I just in, in, encourage you just to stand up and we're, we can pray for you. And if you don't feel comfortable standing up, just say you know, to Jesus quietly in your mind, just say, Jesus, that's me and I don't understand this situation. And we're just going to pray that God just just meets you there and meets you in that prison and gives you the grace to stand up, to look outside and train your eyes on what God has done, what he is doing, and choosing to trust and not allow your circumstance to become a stumbling block. So let's pray. Okay, Father God, you are so good. God, you are so good. Good. And we just choose this morning to trust you. 
God, whatever our prison is, whatever our circumstance is, Father God, you know. And we just trust that you are with us, that you never leave us, that you never abandon us. Thank you, Father. And Father God, I just pray for those who are in this congregation this morning who have lost hope. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I pray, God, that you would restore hope this morning. God, that whatever the situation is, that you would come in and that you would speak life this morning. That you would restore hope. God, and that they would be able to be blessed in this situation, that they would be happy, that they would find themselves fortunate, that they would find themselves to be envied inside of this prison cell. And we thank you that you are here with us all the time. We choose to trust you. We choose to walk hand in hand with you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark.